0: In a special panel discussion, the Helix team was joined by three experts from the fields of change, communication, and emotional resilience. They discussed how we can adapt our leadership style to thrive in the face of ongoing uncertainty, the importance of authenticity, awareness, and our willingness to be vulnerable. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did with Mike Conway, Catherine Holliman, and Marcella Davis. From the team at Helix... I'm Tim Mullen. This is The Science of Us. A podcast about who we are, how we behave, and why. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Helix. www.helix.com. At Helix, we help you understand your people track progress and stay connected check out the website to learn more Right, so welcome everyone to our very first webinar that Helix are running. So we do apologise in advance for any technical glitches. You'll have to bear with us. It's a, a new experience, as we were just talking about before. Uh, but we are we are joined today uh, by three expert panelists: uh, Mike Conway, Michelle Davis, and Catherine Hollyman. We're very excited uh, to get to have the chat with each of them about a very important topic at the moment, which is adapting your leadership style for a new world so without further ado I am going to kick it off and uh, go over and welcome the panelists welcome guys so I'll first go through each just a little bit of introduction for each of you so Catherine Holliman so you're founder of behind the scenes communications Uh, you work with leaders managers and business owners to develop their communication efficacy and maximize their influence and impact through effective purposeful communication. Uh, we've also got Mike Conway, senior, CEO and founder of XVenture, which is a unique learning leadership and media group. Uh, he's also a TV director, writer, business leader, clinician, and mental coach to elite sports stars, um, and his senior executives and entertainers. And finally, we have Marcello Davis, the founder and director of Real People Equity, a consultancy service which works with the company's board and C-suite to deliver strong commercial outcomes for organizations through effective people and culture strategies so I'm very excited I think we've got a fantastic panel to uh, to tackle this topic in particular first of all let me start we've all been going undergoing significant change so maybe let's begin there uh, Michelle, if I can start with you how are you going at the moment
1: oh, look it's it's been an interesting one um, I, I think um, uh, from a business perspective we are you know, I was think I was reflecting on this overnight, actually. Um, I'm just amazed at how the team have, um, in it, it, you know, become so innovative and creative in their thinking, even in really challenging situations, because we've really had to kind of be agile and, and sort of shift the way in which we do things, particularly where such a relationship's of driven business we we connect that's our whole thing like we really are out and connecting with people so when we're not able to do that we have to kind of shift and um change the way in which we we do what we do so um the team has 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 been amazing me personally um it's been it's been an interesting journey for me um i think you know it's been five years since i've i've um founded the business and I've, i've i've Found these last few weeks a little bit. Um, what, what, what would I say? I think I've, I've been challenged by what's my purpose if I'm not running the business the way that I have been. So when I've been reflecting that way, I've, I've really thought about how leaders are operating in this sort of environment. If I'm sort of feeling this way as well, so. Um, but you know, uh, you come through it, and and again, like I said, the team has given me energy to think really creatively about. Um, about what we're doing and having avenues like this where we're really talking and and hearing different perspectives has also been really helpful. So um, uh, I think still interesting times ahead.
0: Definitely interesting indeed. Catherine, if I can turn to you, how have you been personally throughout this uh, evolving crisis?
2: Uh, Well, thanks for asking, Tim. (laughs) Personally, it's actually quite interesting. I was chatting to my husband the other day because I work from home predominantly and do a lot of my coaching via Zoom anyway, so in that regard, on a day-to-day basis, in terms of the way that I work, not much has changed, except my office has actually doubled in size, because I now have my husband working from the office, so whilst everybody else is (laughs) reducing their their social distancing, um, mine is actually increasing, but it's been quite nice having the the company, and then from a, a business perspective, it's actually been really interesting because communication typically leadership communication in particular the field that i that i represent it's a a bit of an unknown and it's one of those things that comes to light in a crisis because leaders realize just how important communication is so it's actually a really interesting time for my industry in particular so i'm enjoying watching that side of it despite the circumstances with which it's happening
0: yeah for sure And, and mike finally to you how uh I know there's been a bit of change for you in your business as well, like like everyone else. How how are you finding things?
3: <laughs> than ever before. <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, the dog knows me better than ever before. So I'm doing that every morning uh, with the dog. So it's it's quite interesting how the day has changed for me. Um, f- overcoming the disappointments of things that I was looking forward to was, was the first thing. So from a human point of view, you know, I was due to go to Kathmandu and Nepal for the first time in my life. I was very excited about that. Suddenly dashed and and other things that were all planned, certainly on the TV documentary site as well. So that's all gone. But what is really strange for me is that it seems to be the time that I feel I was born for, despite all these years. (laughs) Suddenly it's become something which has invigorated me and excited me more than anything I've thought about for the last 10, 15 years. And I've also seen within our small team People who normally look to me, even though that I don't believe I'm an autocratic leader, look to me for help, support and sort of drive, suddenly taking control and also leading themselves, which is very exciting for me. So, you know, retirement, I keep saying this to say, don't retire yet, but my retirement is looking a little more promising. Well,
0: that's great to hear. Great to hear. So before we go on, I will remind everyone that we've got a Q and a Uh, section at the bottom so if you do have questions that come up for any of our panelists you can pose those there you can either do that openly or anonymously so it's up to you about how you would like to do that Um, but we will come back to those as as the uh, session progresses so i'd encourage you to do that uh so obviously we've talked a little bit about how we're all doing personally the health crisis does remain serious obviously the flattening of the curve is is occurring uh but there's no way we're sort of out of it yet until we're looking at a vaccine uh it does still look like we're figuring out exactly what this is going to look like for all of us at the moment as a broader society as well. And as we all know, the economic landscape has completely changed. So many businesses are still actually figuring out how do I approach what is going on? We have a lot of people that are are looking for leadership in, um, I think what many are referring to as wartime at the moment. Uh, So if we look in today's unprecedented uncertainty, how has leadership changed? I mean, what is the crisis forcing leaders to think about now? that they may not have been thinking about before. I might go to Catherine with that one first.
2: Yes, it's, you're absolutely right, Tim. and It's that, that wartime effort is, um, I've certainly heard that myself. And for me, coming at it from a communications perspective, what I see is leaders typically will have time to absorb information, contextualize things for themselves before having to contextualize it for their team. They're normally able to have some answers to be able to provide to their team. And right now they don't have those answers. And so they are they're required to be communicating from a stance that they're not accustomed to. And that can be really daunting. And I think as leaders, it's expected that you do have the answers. So if they don't, they can feel that they might need to hold back from communicating, which is a big mistake to make. It's, it's okay at this time to not have the answers. And I don't think the teams are expecting leaders to have the answers but what they are expecting is to know that their leaders are being kept up to date and are making well-informed decisions. And they're also looking for guidance more so than ever before. So leaders are suddenly having to guide and most importantly, reassure their teams at a time where everything is shrouded in uncertainty. And the leader now has to take on that role, much like a child might look to their parents now i think teams are looking to their leaders for a bit of guidance and reassurance in the face of uncertainty which is a a bit of a shift from from, from normal leadership and particularly from a communications perspective making sure that communication is serving to inform to guide and to reassure during this time
0: and if we stay on that communication topic uh mike what's your view on that is this about the reframing the language that we use is there anything else that we need to be looking at as part of that
3: Look, language is a real interesting one, I mean, it's not just, this is fascinating because we're here on, on a, a webinar and sometimes those elements of, of communication that is so significant for us are not available to us. You know, we pick up nuances of people when we're close and, and, and that's not the case these days. So people certainly got to be aware of that. So every sign and signal really matters and those signs and signals have got to be connected to those things Catherine just said. Uh, so that's part of the communication too. But I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm with Catherine on this. You need to understand that things are ambiguous now, that things are uncertain and actually express that. So it's not just about, you know, knowing that it's the unknown that we know and actually saying that. I feel that, you know, give an example and I, I don't want to be political here. Because I'm not too political. But you look at the difference between, you know, the president of the USA at the moment who actually believes that everything's going to be just great. Um, that's unreal. It it, it isn't necessarily just great. Whereas you're looking at the leader, for example, in New Zealand, who's actually making it really clear that it isn't just great, things are tough, but what she's using, and I I think this is really important, um, where I now like what's happening, what I'm seeing, is the stick and the carrot. You've got to actually use it. There is a promised land. We don't know exactly what it is, but there's going to be some tough times during it. And be real about what you say
0: and i think on that that topic uh we tend to use the word we're busy all the time uh yeah, everyone's like oh, i'm flat out i'm this i'm that and i look i know i've been guilty of saying that the intensity of of work at the moment has has particularly jumped up um Marcello, if i if i ask you that question in terms of how we communicate how busy we are and how um, important we are what what's your view on how we should approach that now in a, a time I'll like have, this? I, I,
1: uh, again, I think I'm on the same topic and wavelength as as the other two panellists in terms of being um, very real and authentic and at times raw about how things are uh, feeling for us. Um, I think the intensity piece, the fatigue levels, I think we're operating so different right now that is actually um, causing, you know, different levels of Um, busyness or we're busy doing different things because we're operating differently so um, I think there is um, I, I think as leaders we've always had to ensure that some of that um, the ways in which we're feeling aren't always projected onto others. Um, and now more than ever, particularly because we're communicating in these type of ways, we're not able to read the play like we normally do when we've got people sitting directly in front of us. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, that um, the the ability to be vulnerable and raw to things, uh, I think is really important, but equally balance the... Um, Structure, control the, you know, the the um, what's the? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of the right word. Like not to panic, um, but to, to to create sort of the plan and and realness around where we need to to go. Um, but yeah, I think a, a lot of that busyness conversation is happening because we we are operating extremely differently. So we're busy doing different things right now.
0: And so if we stick with that virtual world notion that's been raised by a few people here. Listening is obviously a big part of that. We've talked about the fact that you, are, you don't get those same visual clues. So what else are you seeing maybe with the people that you work with or you're seeing that is working well that can enhance the way we listen to the people that we're trying to talk to and understand how they're getting on? Um, Catherine, I might go to you with that one.
2: You're absolutely right. It's uh, nonverbal communication signals account for so much of the meaning that people interpret from, from a conversation and without that you can be left open to ambiguity and uncertainty, mixed messages. So it's really important for leaders to, to practice listening as actively as possible. That means becoming attuned to um, some of the other signals. So the way that a team member or, or a customer even might use their voice and um, the type of language that they might be using, the uh, the way that they structure their emails, they can all send you messages that you should be listening out for. I think it's also really important to find some uh, some uh, official feedback loops that you can introduce that you might not have done so before because you have got these more open uh, channels of communication so finding some ways for your team to submit their questions their ideas their frustrations whether it's anonymously or or with their names attached to it so that it gives them a platform to uh, to give that feedback that you might not be able to read otherwise. I think i am seeing a lot of success in that area.
0: Can I just ask a follow-on question to you, Catherine, about the tonality you mentioned. So how, again, when it's a very, it's over, I mean, I sound very different because I'm using this microphone and it's sort of like everyone's voice can be a little bit different depending on what microphone you're using. How, how can people actually use that tonality to affect a better outcome or to get a point across? I mean, what are some of the things that you see people actually do with their own voice, essentially?
2: It's about thinking of it like a, a range, and thinking, well, as a you've heard the expression monotone. <laughs> so if it's just a singular tone, it's going to sound very dull and boring to the listener. And as a speaker, your your role, your job is to make it easy for somebody to listen to you. And so you want to inject lightness and shade into your tone, so that it makes it more musical. If you think of your the words that you're saying are like the lyrics to a song, and the tone your the, your voice is a bit like the music. So you want to inject some music into your voice by um, altering the tones with which you're talking. And the, but also it's not just the tones, it's the, the volume that you're using. If I was talking really quietly now, it would be a real struggle for people to listen. But similarly, if I'm talking really loudly, it's also uncomfortable for people to listen. So you need to be able to adjust your voice to the surroundings that you're um, that you're working within, but also to the, the context of what you're saying. If you think of somebody like, um, James Earl Jones, for example, the voice of Darth Vader and the, in The Lion King, for those who are familiar with the, the Disney cartoon. He's got perhaps one of the world's most recognisable voices, but he actually didn't speak between the ages of four and 14 because he had a stutter. Um, and so he's been able to use his voice now to, to maximum effect by altering the way that he talks, but really honing in on the volume that he uses, where he places the emphasis on different words, tonal range that he uses, the the pace and the speed. Most importantly, his articulation. So making sure that you can be understood, particularly when you're not face to face. So if you are over video conference, that's one thing, at least you can still see some of those nonverbal signals but if you're over the phone with somebody, making sure that you've got a really clear phone connection and even just saying, like we did at the start of this call, Magella, can, can you hear me okay? And making sure, just asking that question and, and not being afraid to ask those questions to make sure that people can be, to make sure that you are understood and also being not being afraid to speak up if you can't hear somebody, if you can't make out what they're talking about. Listening is a, a two-stage process. First, you have to hear the words and then you have to process them, so. Yeah it's really important as a speaker to make sure that you're making it as easy as possible for the listener to both hear but then process what you're saying excuse me what you're saying
0: yeah definitely and, and and mike you've got i think i saw you come off mute just before but it you're doing some really interesting work when it comes to how you use virtual technology to actually build teams and cultures right now. And I know you've been experimenting with some stuff quite recently, which I don't know if you can or can't talk to us about, but I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear about how you've experienced, particularly a lot of the stuff that Catherine's saying, but how you've witnessed people, I guess, communicating and dealing with each other in such a different way.
3: Well, well, a couple of things, I mean, it was, that was great. I was just thinking, Catherine, this, that's, that was all terrific for me too, because I think the biggest element of what you're describing is something about, as I always try and start and fail miserably so many times, is my own self-awareness mm. about being aware of myself and actually whilst I think that people are hearing what I'm saying, they aren't necessarily hearing that mm. at all. So take for example yesterday, so as a, as a little example of what, what Tim was describing, because our business flatlined and we're the same as, as, as many people, we're so face-to-face, with you know, doing TV shows, I'm working with, you know, elite sports people in teams, Um, a lot of that work or students or whatever. But we thought, what we're going to do, and then this is the innovation happened where we thought, well, if we can actually create our experiential programs, which is generally invariably what it is, into a virtual environment, and because we've got production, we would do that, maybe it'll work. So we basically created a whole heap of challenges, created a virtual environment in a 360 environment. So we went to different locations into the Bay of Islands in New Zealand, behind the stadium, built the challenges and then put it out there to teams. So we've done this with about 40 teams so far. Um, and it's been extraordinary, extraordinary. But the example of communication was yesterday where my business partner actually is, is her first language German. So we were working with Adidas and University of Nuremberg late last night. And she was leading it. I wasn't. I felt like a a spare part, to be honest. Um, And watching this, and and as we watched it, and as I was noticing, several things that that we normally take for granted were things that we need to take into account. Firstly, these people, it isn't their first language English. So they're actually speaking to us in English, but they're German. So the normal ways that we describe things may be a little difficult for them. Truthfully, they were very good but that was the first thing. Secondly, and I could tell her because she may be on listening, but Daniela speaks German, but she was speaking in English. She was also, we were constantly putting little signs up to say slow, slow, you know, a little bit slower and and she was. And she's also got a Kiwi accent as well, so that made it doubly difficult. Um, And then then the other thing is that this key point that you just said, you know, Catherine, about feedbacks and Marcella did it. um, And I've got three points. One is the feedback piece, which is, constantly asking the question, am I too loud, which is now what I'm going to ask. I hope I'm not too loud, by the way. Um, But uh, am I too loud? No, I'm not. I'm all right. Uh, But that was the first thing. Am I too loud? Am I too soft? Can you see me? Can you get in? All these different things were so fundamental that we normally take for granted, but it mattered for the thing to be successful when you're 20,000 kilometers away. And then the final thing, which was one we were having a bit of a laugh about just before we started this this webinar, was that we've got to accept that people are in different environments now. And the things that we don't expect normally and typically in our office environment, well, I don't, is my dog here or the kid walking past or jumping in and demanding a cup of tea or, or a cup of coffee coming through the hand, you know, all these things are obvious they're they're not unknown anymore but what we have to do is make people feel comfortable that this is okay you know uh, one of my team is a fantastic lady who does a lot of our production work and she's got a little baby and she's really, really on edge when she gets on her, her, her calls with us. I'm saying it's okay. It's actually okay. This is obvious. What are you going to do? Lock the baby up? Yes, of course. No, no. <laughs> um, and those are the things that I think that back to communication, we have to be much more explicit and much more sharing about.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. And I can talk from uh, personal experience as well, where I, where I'm set up, set up here, I've got the lounge room right here. So my son, if he's here watching TV, he would just start shouting at me while I'm on a call. So luckily for the, you have the mute button cause I can just go on mute and I just sort of like wave my hand like this in the background. So if anybody ever talks to me, sees this sort of weird thing going on with my arm there, that's what, that's what that's going on. Um, but if I can come to you just on this same point, so you would have seen a lot of this, a lot of what we're talking about being practiced even before all this stuff happened, but now thrown into a virtual world. So is there anything else that you can add off the back of what you just heard here?
1: I think everything that's been discussed so far is extremely valid and true, and I've seen some of that come come through in in um, some of the interactions I've had with clients over the last few few weeks. I think um, I think the the other things to consider is everyone is responding to this so differently. We do, you know, I think we think about some sort of structured approach to things and, um, you know, some of the top topics we've discussed already, but everyone is responding to it differently. and. I suppose, you know, I use my husband as an example, you know, we're working from home as well. Um, and I've always worked out of my home for um, operating the business, but my husband my husband has not. And he is very much about work is work, home is home. So all of a sudden, when you're creating a work from home environment, and it is virtual, so people are, you are as, as a leader, you are bringing people into your home. Um, It is, you know, that is extremely different. And I think that means that people are communicating differently. Leaders are communicating differently because sometimes the way you're communicating out in the workplace is different to the way in which you're operating at home. So I'm seeing a little bit of that come through. I think the the check for understanding, not just in, in communication, but actual understanding of what's being discussed, I think is really important to continually ask people how are they feeling. You know, leaders, um, one of the questions you asked earlier, Tim, and I wanted to add uh, to it is what are people doing, what are leaders doing more of or less of um, or, or, you know, have changed is they're having to really pay attention to how people are feeling right now. Um, and you'd think that we've always done that, but some leaders, and um, you know, are, aren't necessarily that attuned to that, you know, that emotional intelligence, self-awareness, Mike, that you talked about you know, they're just sometimes it's just not, it's not as strong. And these are the traits I think that are starting to really come through and emerge through as critical.
0: And let's stay with that, that topic of empathy and EQ. We've actually had a question come through uh, from Anton. I hope it's Buckner or or Butchner. Sorry if I've, I've mispronounced that, but, uh, Anton says for fear of sounding blanket, many leaders have a lower EQ and have narcissistic behaviors. Often that's how they rose to the top I.e., Trump. Uh, do you think showing authenticity and real empathy to be able to truly listen is a skill that is lacking at the top? Uh, hence it may be difficult for many leaders to know what to do in this crisis, that's different to the typical crisis management rule book that they may have learned through the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, when they learned their craft. Uh, what would you say to that, Mike?
3: Uh, look, I think that it's a it's a, it's a question which um, clearly, when you look at and we've already touched on this guy, when we look at someone like that, he he's to me really out of the box in relation to EQ. So I wouldn't probably use him as a as the as the benchmark. I'm sure Anton isn't either um, or anyone. But but I, I, look, I've found leaders that, who are really self aware as well. So I think it is hit and miss but but the, i go to a science piece to try and help with this one and this is my learning as well so it's only through experience and learning and then and then a bit of a bit of knowledge and that is where i where i struggled in life and there were things that i struggled with i really struggled for example with masses of contracts particularly when I was on wiggles i was getting so many of them coming through from all over the world and i wasn't very good at it so i actually spent a lot of time learning about contracts because i realized it was a it was a it was a weak point if, if we've got, for example, and I think this is a big area at the moment in leadership, and we'll go to EQ as well, if we're really um, struggling with dealing with ambiguity, and particularly people who are highly structured struggle with ambiguity, and, you know, if you can bottle ambiguity, that's one of my big things, then what you've got to do is get good at ambiguity. If you're not that empathetic or your social skills are lower, then my encouragement is... OK, what can you learn? You've got to know yourself at least, or at least we get the, the, the responses on that now. So what we do know is that in science is there there is something called a mirror neuron. And that doesn't mean that we mirror everything that we do. But it means that if you've got someone in your team who who um, is very good at ambiguity, who is very empathetic, you need to bring them in. If you want your team to be, and I'm going to go perhaps a little sort of general here, but if you want your team to be more empathetic and better social skills, hand on heart, I actually believe you then need to start getting your team balanced with some great women in there because they do have a habit of being more empathetic. And so that's the reason because you definitely need it right now. Uh, But that requires a self-awareness still or an honesty around the leader to be able to trust someone to say, how do you think I am on this? Do you think that I need some help? But you definitely need people around you. And all you need is someone with empathy, social skills around you. You'll start actually start to improve just by the very nature of doing that. And that's a simple practical one.
0: Yeah, for sure. Marcella, what do you what do you feel about that? And, and yeah. what did you see beforehand as well?
1: I think, um, uh, look, authenticity um, uh, and, you know, I think EQ go hand in hand and vulnerability. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. I think... Right now, it's okay for leaders to to think that um, they don't have the answer and they don't know. And most of the time, they wanna be in a position where they do know, or they go and surround themselves with people that do help them um, through this. But right now, it's it's really challenging. But, you know, I once, um, I, I heard a, a speaker from Deloitte once talk through inclusive leadership. And one of the traits was really around um, this sense of, of being vulnerable to things, and and again, as a leader, a vulnerability sometimes sounds as though it would be weak, um, and it is, and it is so not. Right now, people are wanting to see and um, you know de- have that sort of demonstrated that says it's okay to feel like you don't know. We're going to work through this. I mean, there's that hashtag that we're all in this together, but you know, there is a sense of being. Um, uh, okay to be vulnerable. And therefore, I think in that, you are um, attuned to your emotional intelligence, you are attuned to being authentic and real and genuine. Um, and and that, again, those traits with resilience, persistence, adaptability at the moment, they're all things that I think are, uh, are really emerging as strong traits right now in, in leadership. Um, but but self-awareness, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, I think is really is is really the key. Leaders need to be looking inwardly right now to be able to understand and discover themselves and be okay with um, you know a changing sort of cycle at the moment.
0: And Catherine, what's your take on that? So that I think was an really interesting point that Michelle raised there about uh, the I guess the willingness to be vulnerable, because I know that it is a tough thing for a lot of leaders at the best of times, let alone a time right now. So, What's your take on how, how vulnerable they should be and how empathetic they should be during these times?
2: Absolutely, great, great points all around. And um, then vulnerability is key purely because th- there's no such thing as being perfect. And there's you know, countless quotes around people who wear the mask of being perfect. It's really hard to connect with somebody like that because there's, it's, it's unattainable. And so if you're trying to put on this display of perfection, your team, your customers, or whoever it is that you're trying to connect with and to engage with and influence, then they're not going to be able to connect with that because it's not, it's untrue. And so they'll sense the insincerity and they'll start to question it. They'll trust the person who has, um, who makes mistakes, who gets things wrong, who admits that they're imperfect, because that's real, that's human. And they're the people that are far more likely to forge a connection with somebody. And take them on the journey with them and it's really important for leaders to be able to do that and to Mike's point earlier about um, about women I read a read in leadership and the display of empathy and care the I read a really interesting article I think it was in Forbes magazine recently around all the countries in the world that have got have had the best response to COVID-19 they all actually have female leaders and it's really interesting to, to read through that article and, and Um, in particular their their talk around the the attributes that these leaders display and one of which was love and empathy and and care. Do I think that it is a uniquely female trait? No, not at all. It's certainly something that I've seen plenty of male leaders display in the past and in actual fact it's probably there that they see the most success because it's perhaps the biggest jump Um, but it can be a learned skill like communication, like emotional intelligence you can learn it and so again as Mike said being able um, to be self-aware enough and be strong enough to say, this isn't an area of expertise, this isn't an area I'm very good at. And so being confident enough to reach out and to get that help or do your own learning, whichever is, is your preferred way of learning, bring people in that can support you that you can learn from but you as a leader you really need to be equipping yourself with those characteristics not necessarily to be the most empathetic person in the room but it's hard to be an effective leader to um, bring your employees together without practicing some degree of empathy and care particularly during a crisis. Empathy right now is probably a leader's secret weapon to, to surviving through here if If you can put empathy over efficiency at the moment, your team will remember that for the long term. They're not necessarily going to remember all the nuances around which what your strategy is through in this time and how you've pivoted. Everybody's favorite word at the moment. But what they will remember is how you as a leader made them feel at this time. And that is something that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. So if you as a leader can practice that empathy and care, which in turn requires a sense of vulnerability in some instances, a sense of opening your, your heart, your mind, your, your home, as my mentioned, to your team in a way that you might not have done before, but in a way that will certainly help you endear yourself to your team in particular.
0: That's a very good point because I think if you look about how this crisis has unfolded, it's it's been in a very emotional reaction. If you look at people flocking to the shops to stock up on toilet paper and well, i think i saw a survey so that's now starting to abate now they're asking questions about the economy because that's the next thing now that they can see that now i've got my food and everything else now i can be emotional about what my longer term prospects are it is a very very emotional situation so as such for leaders to react to it that way i think makes a lot of sense one thing uh, Catherine, you did say and i'm going to put this out just to the whole panel but an interesting point you raised was about that uh, that culture of experimentation and sort of encouraging failure and something that I've been thinking about is what does a crisis like this do to that whole proposition of experimentation where it's sort of, it's okay for you to fail. You know, we want you to do that. Now you're faced in this situation where there is so limited time and so limited resources and everything else in terms of how people can deal with stuff. Are we going to see this encouragement of just give it a go? We've got to just try something different. Will that, do you think that will be maintained or is this something that's going to change? Do you think, and that's to anybody who'd like to answer it.
1: Uh, look, I, I think I've I've actually seen that happen over the last few weeks. I, and like I said, I, I've seen it within my own team um, that um, there is, I, I call it a bit more, I call it along the lines of patience. I think there's a lot more patient patience and um, willingness and openness to have people try different things because, in fact, that's without using the pivoting term, but that's a bit of, how um, I think individuals, communities, organisations are actually going to see themselves through this by shifting and moving. And that comes from um, you know, trying different things, creating different options, you know truly underst- trying to understand what is happening around us from a client, customer, supplier, partner, team perspective. That says, okay well we were doing it like this now we need to do it like this I mean we've all seen it happen where we've got manufacturing companies that manufactured something and then all of a sudden they're manufacturing you know any septic wipes or whatever it is you know like it's it's um, I think um, I think it's encu- what I'm seeing is it's actually encouraged and if it's not happening then um, that's where I think there's going to be a challenge with how people um, Survive or um, or even thrive through this next phase. Um, so I, I see it being more encouraged than anything than anything else. And where there's time permitted, there should be time permitted towards creating and and innovating and adapting and moving and shifting uh, to what is what is happening around us.
0: And Mike, is that something that you see with the people that you work with as well, and something that you you believe in?
3: Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. And I, and I, I said earlier on, it, it's the most exciting time I think I've had for many, many, many years. Well, I, I'll just, just preface this by saying I came to this country in 93. It's a long time ago to work on a big change project, <clears throat> moving the kids hospital across, across Sydney because I was in health ri- originally. And when I arrived to this country, and and again, this is, I'm taking the Anton approach here, (laughs) Uh, that it's quite generic, but a general comment. But I found this country exciting, vigorous, energetic, innovative, creative, and it really appealed to me so much so that I brought all the kids over here and we we made our life here. And said to my folks over there, I'm probably not going to come back. And, and, And the UK is a great place, but I found it quite slow and static in the way it actually moved. And I got excited about that. I would say that over the last eight to 10 years, I've noticed a difference. I felt that it was becoming more institutionalized. I felt that despite, you know, we're, I think we're all entrepreneurs here um, in some shape or form, that I did feel that this was, we were losing some of our soul. Um, this period of time is unbelievable. I'll give you a prime example, taking Marcel's point, you know, um, Chelsea point. I had two CEOs of major corporations call yesterday day to con- converse about another product idea that someone else had got they've never met them and let's try and work it out over the phone collaborating to figure out how we can help this person it floored me this has never happened for the last 10 years and also I think that these people are also coming out of the woodwork and saying I actually like collaborating I actually like hanging out with people it's not to be too frightened to be picking the phone up and speaking to someone Whereas I didn't used to do that, I used to sit behind someone else and I'm too busy, back to your point, too busy, too busy, too busy, no longer. I think where on the other side of the coin though, where there is a challenge, is where people who have not got the skills of collaboration necessarily, or communication or openness, who now are saying, perhaps I should get them, are saying they're collaborative, but in actual fact, there's signs and signals of the opposite. And I think that's where the real challenge is, we need to help those, but it's invigorating.
0: And this is this is kind of related in a way, but Mike, I wanted to stay with you on this. How, from what you're seeing at the moment, what have you seen in terms of past crises and how that compares to what we're seeing today out of the current crisis? Obviously, a lot of people talk about it being unprecedented. It is. I mean, the last time we faced a pandemic was was in the 19, oh, this is bad, right? 30, I should know that, 13, I it was the Spanish flu, obviously. I know it's that one. Um, but obviously, it was a long time ago. And I think that people don't know what that's been like you've got uh, millennials who have come through this not really having experienced any major crises i mean they had the 2008 of course but uh, they would have been a lot younger at the time so from your perspective have you seen anything translate from a past from a past big crisis that we've had to what you're seeing in behavior now
3: i, I think some of them are i think i think the first one is that you know, we, if you look at change, you know, change process and chaos theory and so forth, you'll know that people's responses to big change, unless you're actually controlling it, is is one of, of, of some form of fear. And that's something I've seen before. You know, I was involved in. HIV, AIDS planning in London, which was really tricky and people can't even imagine now that people were really frightened of walking past people in the street in London thinking, what if I catch it? You know, it, it literally was like that for a period. So you do get that fear factor. Same with GFC. If I mean, I was working in the US a lot at the time and at that period of time, people were jumping off buildings, you know, thought they were going to lose their houses, their friends, their family. Teams were being dissipated of people they would normally work together. So some of those... Um, Those things that you notice were were pretty similar. Um, What I think that happened with with GFC and things like that, there seemed to be a bit more clarity in what the outcome would be. I think that that's where there is a bit of a difference. Um, what, What I also feel that those leaders, though, that did come through had something which I think is really important, and we can do this now as well, which is even though we don't know what the future is entirely, how can we? that we have to actually be able to bring our people through to a promised land of some sort. And I think that that's the thing that I noticed about leaders at that point. We don't know for sure, but let's try and work out a promised land. And that's what they did together. And those, those organizations prospered. That's the big thing that I noticed that's very similar.
0: That's awesome. Related to that, we just had an anonymous question come through. I might just pose this to either uh, Marcello or Catherine, uh, whichever who would like to, or both, answer, of course. Uh, what what sort of leaders emerge from these types of events?
3: Marcello, go for
1: it. <laughs> oh, um, so, I think it's an int- oh, well, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know if it's a, a type type of leader as such. I think um, I think it goes back to the point earlier around. Um, real, this is going to sound maybe a little bit basic, but um, real leaders uh, and, and I talk about that in the sense of um, uh, open, transparent. Um, back to Mike's point, um, it was one of the points I actually had written down in terms of some of the inspirational leaders I've seen in these last few weeks that have, um, that have been really clear and purposeful um, but have and have talked with conviction, but have also talked with compassion. Um, so I don't know if it's a a, t- a type of leader as such. I think different traits are coming through as really critical traits of leadership that may not have necessarily been as strong in the past, um, and and that whole sort of. Change agility and the ability to kind of move with change, but take people along with you, knowing that everybody on that journey is actually different and how they're responding is different. So, you know, a leader's ability to adapt and shift to people around them, again, I think is is um, is a really uh, emerging and critical trait coming coming through. But, um, you know, the likes of. Um, Jacinta Ardern, we've talked about her before, but, you know, even our own, our own um, politics right now, and, and I definitely don't talk about politics necessarily, but what I have seen come through is, is you know, that plan, structure, honesty about what's happening, constant communication um, about what's going on, but giving people a sense of realness, but the ability to be a part of the future moving forward. I I, I don't know if that's the the answer specifically. I, I think it's it's an an unknown. Um, but I I have seen some really strong traits coming through like that.
0: And, and Catherine, yeah, did you have something to add to? Because I know the other thing is that the fear of the unknown is often panic-inducing as well. And and many we've talked about before that many leaders don't have the answers. So I think a point that Marcello was saying there about the importance of staying open during crisis mm-hmm. crises like these is that. Something you think is important how do we actually do that
2: mm, absolutely it's it's definitely um, i think that's a, a key trait for an effective leader anyway but mm. particularly at this time but to both mike the point that mike was making before around um purpose and and strategy and then marcella's points as well i think all really valid i think the next step to that though, and marcella touched on it is it's not enough for you to be able to say as a leader, right, this is what we're going to be doing. There's, it's such a, a wasted opportunity if you're not bringing your team along for the ride. You can't do it alone. You've got such an impact that you want to make as a leader and a, a contribution that you want to have. But you need people to follow you. There's a great quote, called, cool, I think it was from Tim, uh, Tim Roth and Barry Conchi in their book, that a leader without any followers is just out for a walk. And I love that quote, (laughs) because I love the visual. It's yes, follow me, but there's no one there. And your role as a leader is to really be able to say to your team, this is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. Follow me. And you need to be able to communicate with your whole team and all the different personalities within that team in a way that those statements and that strategy really resonates with them and connects with them as a, at an individual level so that they buy into you as a leader and that they want to follow you, that they're inspired to follow you. And so all the traits that we've collectively mentioned are what, what helps with that. But in this time of crisis, the, the added bonus of, um, of having a clear purpose for your business gives your team, your company, and even yourself something of an anchor to hold on to. The the way that you might fulfill that purpose or strive to fulfill that purpose might need to change because of the current landscape and the uncertainty. So you do need to be open to different products, different um, go-to-market strategies, different target markets and so forth. But your purpose is most likely going to stay the same throughout this whole period but you need to be reminding your team of why you exist as a business, why you exist as a team. And then you need to be able to say, in order to fulfill this purpose, here's our, here's our strategy. Here's our vision of where we want to be. Here's how we're going to get there. But most importantly, here's what, here's how you can contribute. Here's how you play a role. And setting really clear expectations and I think that's what if you look at the political leaders that we've mentioned I think that's what the likes of Jacinda Ardern has done really well is okay. here's what we're doing as a, as a leadership as a government as a, as a leadership team as a single leader here's what we're doing here's what we need from you here's okay. how you can contribute to our success because in this crisis or in business, we're all in this together. Like no leader is going to be able to achieve their their vision on their own or their strategy on their own. They need the team, and they need to position it in a way that, particularly for the workforce and the younger workforce, we want to work for something that's more than just a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So we need our, our work to have meaning, and I think even more so in today's time and probably coming out of this period. I don't know what um, the other panelists think, but. I think coming out the other side of this, that sense of meaning, that sense of purpose is just going to be even stronger.
1: Yeah. Tim, can I just add on that um, point? Um, You know, uh, in a normal BAU situation, particularly if you follow um, the financial year cycle, around this time of the year, you're normally um, reflecting back on the delivery of your goals and you're sort of setting the next ones for the next quarter ahead. Um, and I, I had this down as a point that um, that is critical, I, again, right now, having purpose, clear deliverables, goals, things that people feel like they're achieving, um, you know, a different sort of, um, uh, in, you know, incentives to kind of do things. But right now in the cycle, we would normally be doing something like this. And I think... Um, what's important getting to that whole, what's gonna happen on the other side and getting ready for what I reference as the surge is is that goal setting um, uh, phase is really, really important. So not just for um, the delivery of a plan, but just for the psyche at the moment and the general sort of team psyche. having that sort of marched kind of let's go forward you know the communal kind of sharing of goals that really is critical and it's critical for getting uh match fit um really for for what's ahead
0: and maybe if we stick on that topic because i know we're sort of coming to the to the final part of the session but it is about what happens when we come out of this now um i do want to ask one anonymous question that came through because it is relating to this but it was how much of what leaders need to be doing right now is what they always needed to be doing before and i think that probably then leads us on to a next question but mike what, what are your thoughts on on that about what leaders need to be doing right now that they already do or they always should have been doing
3: um yeah, I, I think that it's it's they should they should be doing exactly the same. I don't think that there's suddenly I think there are new skills. this is back to this it sounds like a crack record really, but this whole notion of self-awareness. I think my my biggest lesson and, and I, I lead in some things, although I I now know that my team leads me more than I lead them, I think, which is really good. But I, I think that the self-awareness piece is the one that I've doing more of than ever before. The majority of what I'm doing is exactly the same. The majority of what other leaders are doing should be exactly the same. Back to the key things that, that, that uh, Marcelle and also Catherine talked about. To me, leadership is about, and it's really interesting, it's not about necessarily business, and it's not necessarily about politics. To me, it's about, it's about social influence. That's what it's about. And so what isn't it ironic that we're talking about social influence when quite often we feel that we're not socially connected. I actually feel, strangely enough, more connected. So I'm learning more about how I connect with people, learning about those skills, which I'm improving on to be a better leader and learning about my self-awareness. Outside of that, it's a constant. And and I think the other thing that I'm doing and, and I'm suggesting and those people I know closely who are running big big organizations working as coaches in in big teams they're spending more time right now actually updating so whereas we used to probably you know if we talk about the planning process have a plan every month and then review and get around the table we're doing that much more often much more frequently now and I think that's really important because the shift and change is much quicker so we need to be ready quicker. And those are the, the things that I would be suggesting we need to do a little better off and we need to do.
0: And Martell, I might actually go to you sure. because you've, you've mentioned a couple of times the surge as you have <laughs> called it um, about what would come off the back of this. So if we do look beyond COVID, um, we don't know when we'll come out of it. We don't know what life will be like or if we truly come out of it or if it's a bit of a gray space in between. But what, what do you see as coming out the other side of this and, and how, should we, uh, how should we be positioning ourselves?
1: Look, I think um, I might just add a couple of points to to what Mike has, has said. I think that change readiness and agility is, um, I think leaders have always needed some level of that and those that haven't have been really stagnant and haven't always necessarily been as successful. But I think now the pace at which change is moving, the endurance, So, the endurance of a leader and their team to to kind of see it through. I think that's critical moving into getting ready for the surge. I talk about it in terms of match fitness, but also it's kind of like fitness for the season, not just for the first game. Um, And and I think, you know, as leaders, um, we uh, go back to, you know, you need to check in a lot more with how, uh, where people are at on that journey. Um, you know, I, I've got colleagues um, and, and people I stay very well connected to that are in the retail industry that are looking to, you know, open up stores again um, shortly. And that, again, is is you've got to get your teams ready for what it's going to be like to serve maybe a different customer who's thinking differently and operating differently, the pace in which they're going to return, you know, what does that actually mean for the way in which they're operating? So I, I think there's an element, um, if there's a silver lining to anything, I, I'd say right now there's, the, the universe is giving us an ability to really sit and look at how we're operating, how we need to shift and move and get ready for, um, for what I reference as the surge. But it is, you know, I think we're coming to that point of getting ready for this next phase. And, and I, I'd say as leaders, be, be aware, um, be ready to act, you know, so have that fit your fitness level up, um, back to those principles of really effective communication, and still don't lose don't lose what you've gained over this period of time of of knowing how to operate a little bit differently, you know, communicating differently, listening differently, reading. Don't lose it just all of a sudden because now we can go and sit in a cafe and chat rather than you know do it like you know, you know that type of thing. I think is really, uh, I think is really important. But that 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 fitness level and, and, and having the purpose to Catherine's point earlier, that real clear purpose, I I think is, is, is key uh, for, for what's ahead.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Very valid point. Catherine, I know that you, you had some thoughts on this as well, particularly around, you know, what, what should we be doing to connect with our team, you know, coming off the back of this and I guess some of the other points that the the panelists have made. Sorry, you're on, you're on mute. So I just took you off.
2: Thank you. (laughs) We're not listening. (laughs) It's about lip reading now. (laughs) Um, So Mike mentioned it before around the, the connection and at a point in time where human contact is at its minimum, the need for human connection has gone through the roof. And so as a leader, it's all about thinking, well, how can I create that connection and create meaningful connections with my team, but also with my stakeholders? And in the 20 years that I've been working in communication, working for leaders from organisations like Atlassian and Foxtel and Optus and Glencore and many more and even small to medium businesses, there's been four key principles that I've found really stand the test for um, communicating in a way that helps you connect with and then go on to influence and persuade your stakeholders and i don't mean that in a manipulative influencing i mean igniting that inspiration and and really guiding them to, to follow you and those four principles are you need to communicate with clarity and we've talked about that before. You need to give your team that clarity. You need to be really easy to understand and concise in what you're telling them. But you also need to be clear in the signals that you're sending across them, so your words, your voice, your non verbal signals, your actions and your behaviours. You also need to be credible. So you need to be authentic. You need to be confident. You need to be um, become an expert in your field. It doesn't mean about having all the answers, but you need to be seen as a trusted voice. And then you need to have perhaps the most important one, particularly at this time, but as Marcella said, don't lose this coming out the other side of of COVID-19. You need to have compassion. You need to have the ability to empathise and understand your audience. I think Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that has never been more important than it is today. But even with those three principles, clarity, credibility, and compassion, you're still only going to be halfway there towards connecting with your team and your other stakeholders. The fourth principle that you need is consistency, and that's where I think Tim, you mentioned before, what should leaders be doing now that maybe they should have been doing before? I think it's that element of communicating consistently and painting a really clear picture of who you are as a leader and what you stand for, so that your team and your customers know who they're looking to and who they want to be inspired by. And you need all four principles before you're going to connect with your, your team and your stakeholders. And that's really what it's all about at this time, but coming through the other side at the surge, I think you really want to know that you've got that connection so that you can, that you can then really play for the season. I like that much (laughs) not just the first game.
0: Yeah. Really, really great points. Uh, We, we are coming to the close of our time. I think I'll ask one more question. Um, and this is for any panelists to ask, is actually coming from Anton again, which I think is a great way to wrap up. That he said, agree totally with the self-awareness and the social impact focus. Uh, great points from all of you. You're all ahead of the curve. Is there a problem with the fundamental measures of business? Business is still measured in terms of hard factors, financial growth, shareholder value, custom sales, volumes, and, and value, et cetera. Not the sort of the softer factors, which I agree should actually be baked into the measures. So as well as employee happiness, customer happiness, et cetera. What are we going to see in terms of where this measurement goes? I think people talked about this a lot before the crisis, but I've, I would feel personally, and maybe I'm a bit biased, that this should become an even more important thing coming out of it. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you wanted to take that one to, to comment on.
3: Uh, well, I think I'm really biased because I've been working on balance scorecards even many, many years ago at the kids' hospital and different organisations where people would care to listen. That's the thing. It sounds like a great thing. But, you know, suddenly, oh, my God, the shareholders think this. We better shift quickly and learning and development disappears. But I think there's masses of evidence to suggest that learning and development and the focus on people is the key thing. Um, you can't you don't have i I'm using a Mac at the moment. The Mac doesn't exist without people. You know, the, the, the cup of tea or the cup that came in or the map in, it, it, behind Catherine's uh, all those beautiful plants do not exist without people who care and are passionate. So you have to have measures for those, Anton, no question. What I will tell you is that in the um, elite sports teams that I've been working with, Sydney FC, uh, and also the Socceroos, and prior to that, Sydney Sixers and Girls Thunder, that we actually do use measures around emotional agility and resilience and leadership. They are measured beforehand. Then programmes are put in place and measured afterwards. So they take them very seriously. Um, Player welfare right now is the most fundamental thing because these people have got very little meaning in life, uh, they're not playing, they're not performing where they want to be. So to get that right is a fundamental measure, no question. But we've got to maintain it. Um, you know, you're not look, just one final thing. It's obvious. If you don't get this right, you you're doomed. There are companies right now falling over, and it does not matter how many hard measures they had, they're still falling over.
0: Totally. Yeah. Any other any other points that Michelle or Catherine want to make?
1: Yeah. Look, I think um, I think. Organisations I've come across have, um, have measured levels of engagement um, in their dashboards uh, for some time. I think I think uh, they're a factor, uh, and sometimes they're the key factor in the results of a business. So, kind of the the profit and loss and all of that isn't is an outcome of how people. Uh, uh, feeling and operating, but I also have seen high levels of engagement and poor um, results from a from a company. So I think sometimes we've got to really look at the correlation between the two. And there's a lot of work that we're doing. We're actually doing um, within RPE that you know is really looking at that correlation um, and and seeing where it works. Um, but I do think that now more than ever. Um, health and well-being um, is a really uh, is going to be a a very key factor and we know and maybe it's a retail thing it's my background is what gets measured gets done I I, I know that that sort of sometimes is can sometimes go against the grain but that again goes to you know to a plan Um, but I do think that we're going to start to see some measures and incentives and you know return on investment around health and wellbeing, because uh, again, right now it's critical people have lost their purpose, have lost their sort of way of life, their livelihood. Um, so I, I think uh, that's going to be uh, emerging. We're always going to have to measure deliverables in that sense of profit and loss. Um, it's, it's always going to be there. I, I think we've got, just got to be able to know how to appreciate it.
0: Totally. And Catherine?
2: I would just add that um agree with both points there, or all points that have been raised. I would say in terms of what you measure, it all comes back to your purpose as an organization and as a team, what is it? Why do you exist? What and who for? And then working back from there in terms of what are your key drivers of success and how do you measure those?
0: I completely agree i'm just going to put up a, a little side here just if you wanted to learn more about um each of our amazing panelists which i've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with i've just got to, up on the screen here you can go to either one of their their websites um from the Catherine, mike uh, or michelle all amazing people that i've had um the the lucky benefit of having to work with in some capacity beforehand Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. And, um, and also if you want to learn anything about, um, Helix, just a quick plug for ourselves, of course, why not? Uh, you can just find a little bit more about us at helix.com or you can get in touch with Carla who, who may have uh, reached out to you. Um, but guys, I want to come back and just say a big, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for making the time to come on. Thank you for all of our attendees as well. And all the great questions, uh, that were sent through. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and we'll, we'll get a recording of this available for people who want to see it afterwards. But uh, for now guys, thank you so much. Thanks, 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 guys. That's it for this episode of the Science of Us. If you'd like to learn more about Mike Conway, Catherine Hollyman, or Marcella Davis, check out the show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Helix, www.hwelix.com, where we help you understand your people, track progress, and stay connected—all being powered by neuroscience. For now. We'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Us.